Well, good morning, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 1. We are going to be in uh, verses 9 through 20, but I want to kind of start with the end in mind. And I want to start in verse 15, uh, correction, 16. So I want to make sure you guys are paying attention. I'm just going to jump right into it. Um, I love this passage. Um, I love the heartbeat of this message. If someone said, Zach, you're only allowed to preach one sermon for the rest of your life, it might be just this exact sermon. Um, It says in verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, that is Jesus, everybody say Jesus, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. These are just ordinary guys. They're they're fishermen. Um, This was an ordinary profession in that day. Nothing super special about Andrew. Nothing super special about Peter. In verse 17, it says, And Jesus said to them, Follow me. Everybody say that with me. Follow me. One, two, three. Who said that? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, the answer to every question in church, 99% of the time. Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Everybody say, followed him. Going on a little farther, um, Jesus saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. They were also fishermen. Verse 20, and immediately he called them. What do you think he said to them? What what do you think? Everyone guess. Follow me. You guys are just so stock, just so sharp. It's amazing. Yes, certainly what he said. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. I say, followed him. Today I want to preach from God's word about following Jesus. What does it mean? What's involved in that? And then what does it take to do it? Let me pray for us. Father God, um, this, is, this is a really neat message. Um, it is foundational. Um, you invite us to follow you, Jesus. So today, would you teach us what's within that? And I pray that you would do um, some surgical work in, in our hearts that um, if, if there's anything that's keeping us from following you, Jesus, would you open our eyes to see that, to turn, to repent, and to truly follow you. We pray this, and everybody said, amen. amen. Over and over again, Jesus says, follow me, follow me, follow me. This is, this is one of um, the redundant things Jesus speaks about for his 
ministry, throughout his ministry. Follow me, follow me. But let's talk for a second. What does Jesus mean when he says, follow me? I've got an Instagram that I haven't posted on in like a year, and I have these people called what? Followers. I wonder, do you think Jesus has that in mind? Follow me like you follow people on Instagram. Sometimes I wonder if, if, you know, if there's a way to kind of frame up what does it mean to follow someone on Instagram. A lot of times it, it means you're a fan of them. You're just trying to keep up with what's going on in their life of, of sorts. Um, but I wonder, um, is Jesus looking for fans or is he looking for, for followers? And maybe there's something more here. What, what does it mean to follow to follow Jesus. Now, Jesus, he invites these four men to follow him, but it's not the only people he's going to invite to follow him. He's going to invite Matthew. He's going to, in, he's going to invite all these disciples. And then, if you read through, you'll, you'll notice that he invites a bunch of other people, too, that may or may not follow him. It, it is a redundant um, invitation that Jesus gives so redundant that you as the reader at some point should be asking the question, oh, I wonder if Jesus is inviting me also to follow him. And at that point, you should, a bell should go off in your head that says, yes, that, that's right. Jesus invites all of us to follow him, but, but what does it mean? It obviously must mean more than just being a fan of him. Now, when you look at what transpires with, um, with James and John and Andrew and Peter here, they follow Jesus, and then for the next three years, they literally do life with Jesus around the clock. They are walking with Jesus. They are talking with Jesus. They are eating with Jesus. They are going hungry and fasting with Jesus. They are asking questions of Jesus. They're listening to Jesus' teaching. They, they, are do, they are sleeping next to Jesus. Wherever Jesus goes, they go. They are doing life with Jesus. Jesus walking, talking. And I love what um, Jesus says. He says this in John chapter 15. He says this the night before he dies. He looks around at his guys who've been following him and he says something really, really profound. He says, hey, I wanna let you guys know that you all have become my friends. You've been following me but you need to know that what's happened as you followed me is that, that we, are, we are friends. Goodness, I, I think that if you could zero in one simple definition of what does it mean to follow Jesus, following Jesus is becoming friends with Jesus. Living life with Jesus. To, to follow him so closely that Jesus says about you, hey, you, you're one of my friends. Like, you, you don't just call me your friend, but I call you one of my friends. How neat does that sound? To be friends 
with Jesus and for Jesus to be friends with you. Um, I think Pastor John said this last week. If you could zero down in, and, and try and um, simplify in a single phrase or a single word, what, what, what does it mean to be a Christian? What, what does that even mean? I, I think it's this. It's following Jesus into a friendship with him. In fact, we named this whole sermon series Following Jesus. Now, I jumped to the end of the teaching text today to get us to this place of seeing that, you know, Jesus is not looking for fans. He's looking for followers that will become his friends. Now, for the rest of this time, I want us to see what is being offered to you and I in this friendship. Because let's be honest, the kind of friendship that Jesus desires to have with you is probably a little bit different than some of the friendships that you have with others. Some of you have friends um, that are at a different level than other friends. We won't get into this, but there's some other friends where you're like, I just prefer to hang out with them. If, um, I want us to see what kind of friend that you and I, we actually have in Jesus. And, and then I want to conclude by looking at um, what it takes to walk in that, in that friendship. And so I, I find three things in this text as a whole from verses 9 through 23 aspects about this friendship um, that that we have when we are friends with Jesus. We have a profound purpose. We have a personal relationship with the triune God. It's kind of a big one. We'll get there. And we have a perfect kingdom. Let, let's take these one at a time. Jesus says um, to, to Peter and to Andrew, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. What, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is giving them a profound purpose. Not just a purpose, but a profound purpose. Notice what Jesus says. I will make you become fishers of men. I, I'm going to do it. Why, why is Jesus saying, I'm going to do it? Because the purpose that God has for your life, for my life, is a lot bigger than your abilities. This is why I love following Jesus. I love following Jesus for a number of different things, reasons. I, I love being friends with Jesus for a number of different reasons, but, but this is definitely one of the things I get really excited about. Jesus says, I've got a purpose for you that's bigger than you. I've got a purpose for your life that takes more power than you have. How many of you want to live with some profound purpose in your life? Amen? And that's what Jesus is offering. He's saying, I'm going to make you become fishers of men. I'm going to literally use you to make a profound purpose on men and women. Um, 
God has a purpose for your life. An incredible one. And the difference between you walking in that purpose and you missing out on that purpose has everything to do with your friendship and following Jesus. Some of you might be sitting here going, I, 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 don't, I don't even know what my purpose is. What, what is my purpose? Follow Jesus, become friends with him. That's where you find it. That's where you discover it. That's not only where you discover it, that's where you live it out. Because here's a secret about the purpose that Jesus has for your life. It, it is not a purpose where you get the glory and you get the fame. It's not a purpose in which you, you it's all about you. It's a purpose in which you are doing alongside Jesus. It is a partnership. Jesus is saying, I've got a purpose for you. I'm going to make you become fill in the blank and we discover it and we live it alongside Jesus. And, and some of you might be here going, I don't know what my purpose is. I'm trying to discover my purpose or my purpose doesn't seem to be as big as what you're describing here. Follow Jesus. Become friends with Jesus. And he will show you. He will lead you. He will empower you. And you will do, as Ephesians 3 says, far more abundantly than you could ever ask or think. Following Jesus about, is about being friends with Jesus. And in this friendship, you discover a profound purpose. Your profound purpose. But there's more. Jump back with me to, to verse 9. I'm going to read verses 9 through 13. And, and what we are going to find here is it's going to speak primarily about the identity of Jesus. Um, but the identity of your friend often shapes what kind of friendship you have with them. And so what I want you to see here is the identity of Jesus and how that shapes and molds and impacts the relationship, the friendship you have with Jesus. So um, verse nine, it says, in those days, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. Um, Mark, who is writing this account of Jesus, this is this is like he pulls back the curtain and says, okay, everybody, welcome Jesus. Here he comes out on the scene. Because so far, we haven't really been introduced to Jesus. Pastor John preached about, um, specifically about John the Baptist. And now the curtain's kind of been opened up. So far, um, they've been talking about Jesus. And now the curtain opens up and Mark's like, okay, everybody, round of applause. Round of applause. Um, here comes Jesus. And he came from Nazareth of Galilee, which is like saying he came from uh, Duval. I don't know. White Center. Wow, this is like the opportunity to throw all those towns and cities we despise. Someone was saying they're from Gold Bar. They, maybe Gold Bar. Like, yeah, there you go. There you go. It's, um, he's, he's from Nazareth of Galilee. 
And listen to this. And was baptized by John in the Jordan. Verse 10. And when he came out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit, notice that's a capital S. Why is it a capital S? Because it's speaking about a person. It's speaking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. Notice it doesn't say descending on him as a dove. No, no, no. Like a dove. It's a word picture. And a voice came from heaven. Whose voice is this? This is God the Father. You are my beloved son. So did you catch this? We've got Jesus from Nazareth coming out, being baptized. You have the Holy Spirit descending on him. And now you have God the Father speaking over him. You have the Trinity. We'll come back to this. You are my beloved son. And with you, I am well pleased. Verse 12, the Spirit, again, that's capital S, the Holy Spirit, immediately drove him, that's Jesus, out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Okay, I I want you to see a couple of things. I want you to see that this is speaking about the identity of Jesus, these two passages. And I want you to see the first chunk passage, this baptism of Jesus, this is telling us uh, about Jesus' identity, that Jesus is God. He is God. He is the second member of the Trinity, um, a, a lot of uh, scholars, theologians will point back to like Genesis 1 as kind of a picture of what's going on here. Because in Genesis 1 and 2, you see the Trinity at work. You see the, the Spirit hovering over the, the face of the deep. You, Colossians talked about how, how nothing was made without Jesus. That, that Jesus is you know, doing this creative power. You have, you have God the Father. He's speaking. And, and so here... Mark wants us to know instantly, Jesus is not just a prophet. Jesus is not like becoming God, something Mormons believe. Like Jesus became God. He wasn't always God. And Mark is going, no, Jesus is God. He is is God. He's not some godly person. He is God. Why do I get so fired up about this? Because Jesus says, follow me. I'll be friends with you. And oh, by the way, I'm God. That gets me excited. I've got some really good friends. They're not God. They might be godly, but they're not God. And you have Jesus coming. He is God, and may we never, ever hold loosely that doctrine that Jesus is God, and and he is God in the flesh as man. If verses 9 through 11 is about the divinity of Jesus, um, Verses 12 and 13 is about the humanity of Jesus. 
Jesus is in the wilderness. He's being tempted by Satan. Now, if you know your Bible really, really well, you'd go, hey, wait a second. If Jesus is God, and then this verse says that Jesus is being tempted by Satan, isn't there that verse in the book of James that says that God can't be tempted? So if Jesus is God, how can he be tempted? Because Jesus is fully man. So I have a friend who is God, and yet, because he wants to meet me so closely with where I'm at, he has become man. And he's fully man. Now, I, I, I want you to see what we get when we become friends with Jesus, who is God in the flesh. It means we also get the Holy Spirit, and we get the Father as well. The Father says to Jesus, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. When we walk and talk and do life and follow Jesus, we get a personal relationship, a personal relationship with God as our father literally our father. Why do I say literally our father? Because I wonder when we talk about God as our father, if we think about that way more metaphorically than we should. It's not a metaphor. God is your father. It is not a metaphor. It is, it is, it is fact. What do fathers do? Fathers give us identity, don't they? And the father is saying to Jesus, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And one of the things that we find as we continue to read through God's word is that Jesus has come to take our place so that we could take Jesus' place. So whatever the Father says about Jesus is true of his followers. So when you are following Jesus and you have this friendship with Jesus, you have a Father, you have God the Father saying, you're my beloved. You're my beloved child. Now, it says son, and I always say child, but even if you're a woman, the, the idea of sonship is pretty important. You want to know why? Is because you know what the firstborn sons always got? They got a double inheritance. And so that sonship language is, is significant because with the father, um, he gives us this identity that we are his son, we are his child, and there's a pretty solid inheritance involved. 
when we follow Jesus, we get God as our, as our Father, speaking our identity over us. Some of you, you struggle with who am I? Who am I? And we'll look for that answer in, in what we do. And we all know that doesn't work, right? How, how many years do you have to work in a profession before you realize this is not my identity? It's what I do, but it's not who I am. We live in a culture right now that says, no, the way that you find your identity is you, you find it around your sexual orientation or you find it in I'm male or I'm female. Or, and, and, and listen, that it, it doesn't work. You find your identity in your father. And, and dads, those of you who are dads, I, I want you to think about this. You give your children their identity in a very profound way. And some of you grew up with a crummy father, and so you probably have a lot of identity issues. But when we are following Jesus and, and have a relationship with him, we have a perfect heavenly father who says, you're my kid. I don't care what you've done. If you are in Christ, you're my kid. You're my son. You're my beloved. Beloved. That's what you have. That's, that's the friendship. I don't know about you. My, some of my other friends, I don't get that with them. But when I'm friends with Jesus, I have a father who says, Zach, you're my beloved son. And I'm pleased with you. You don't have that without Christ. It's only through Christ. And it's not as if we have to chase this down because remember, Jesus is saying, hey, follow me. It's right here, it's right here. You, some of y'all need, need a father. All right, today's the day. So we get this personal relationship where God is our father and we, we also get the Holy Spirit leading us. We get the Spirit of God with us leading us in in this passage it says in 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 the spirit drove jesus out into the wilderness that the language is is pretty strong the holy spirit's like all right here we go here we go here we go we're you're going out into the wilderness um matthew and luke who tell this same story it's a little bit longer they use a lot more i would say kind of gentle language where it says um and the spirit led jesus out um Here's what I love. I don't know if we talk about this enough. In our friendship with Jesus, we get the Holy Spirit speaking to us and leading us to places that we would never go. Um, side story. Let me tell you a time where the Spirit spoke to me. And if he didn't speak to me, I'm not sure I'd be here today. So, a year and a half ago-ish, um, um, Pastor John invited me to come preach here. And I preached here. I, some of you guys know this. I, I, I grew up in this church till I was a young teenager. And, and I was preaching here. And, and I heard the Spirit say to me, while I was preaching, 
It's multitasking, friends. Uh, I felt, I li- just the Spirit say to me, what if you guys came together as one church? And you got to be careful sometimes, friends, because the Holy Spirit will tell you some pretty crazy stuff. And you're like, all right, Holy Spirit, like if I move forward on this, this could, this, this, I got to make sure this is for me. You, okay? And so I pray about it. I share it with my wife and I pray about it. And here's my prayer. Lord, would you tell Pastor John to talk to me about this? <laughs> and I prayed this um, August, um, September, and, and then into October. And he's still like, listen, I'm sure the Spirit talked to you. You weren't listening. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Um, and finally, I was like, you know what? I, I'll, I'll just... I guess I could just talk to Pastor John about it. And so I shared it with Pastor John, and um, we start talking and praying about this, um, about our churches coming together. And uh, I think this is like in January or something. Um, we, we had the first opportunity where Pastor John sat down with our church elders, and then I sat down with Foothills Baptist elders, and I'll never forget this. We're at your house. It's a Sunday afternoon. Um, we're getting ready to eat um, lunch, and Mark is in the back. Mark, I don't know if you remember this. I hope you do. I promise I'm not making this up. Um, Mark goes, hey, before we get started, Zach, I want to say thank you for your courage, because when you preached that one Sunday, I thought, what if we, our churches came together? And I was like, Okay, Holy Spirit, it was you, it was, it was you. This is what we get when we are friends with Jesus. We get the Holy Spirit whispering to us, speaking to us, saying, okay, all right, watch what I'm going to do here. Here's what I want you to do. Here's where I want you to go. Here's what I want to teach you. In, in John, is it John 14, John 16, somewhere in there, um, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit will like be our teacher. He will teach us. He will guide us. Guys, the, the things I, uh, the, the Spirit is just constantly teaching me, right? now the Holy Spirit has been teaching me. It's kind of like a week, several week seminar because I really need to, to learn this. The Spirit has been teaching me that there's a difference between pleasing people and loving people. And, and no one talked to me about this. It was like the Spirit spoke to me and has been leading me in this. And, and some of you are going, well, why doesn't the Spirit speak to me like that? Are you following Jesus? Are you walking with Jesus? Are you doing life with Jesus? Some of you are like, well, I have a, I have a morning devotional time. That's great. But what about the other 23 hours of your day? And so with Jesus, we get this personal relationship, not just with Jesus who's become, who's God in flesh, but we also get a personal relationship with God as our Father, speaking our true identity over us as His beloved child in whom He is well pleased all the time. And we have the Holy Spirit speaking to us, guiding us, leading us, showing His way, working in our lives, teaching us things that we really, really need to to learn and it comes when we follow Jesus into this friendship do you know Jesus like this do you know him like this and this last part is with this friendship with Jesus we get a perfect kingdom it says in verse 
14, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. The word gospel means good news. The good news of God in saying the time is fulfilled. In, in other words, the time's now. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Um, I think it's in Matthew's gospel. He says the kingdom of God is, is near. It's come When we talk about Jesus, I think instantly we go, oh, with Jesus, we get, we get eternal life. Woo! And Jesus, his message that he gives over and over and over again is, I have eternal life for you, yes, but I have more than that. I have a kingdom for you, and it's the kingdom of God. We'll explore way more because this is a big thing, the kingdom of God. And so I'll summarize just very briefly what Jesus means by the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of love, grace, mercy, humility, generosity, forgiveness. How do I know that? Because Jesus is the one bringing the kingdom, and as we'll read for the next year, that's what he's bringing over and over and over and over and over again. It's a culture of love, grace, mercy, generosity, humility, forgiveness. How many of you, you want to be a part of that kingdom, right? Some of you, the kingdom you've been a part of is a kingdom of pride and backbiting and revenge and you say this about me, I'll say that about you. And Jesus says, hey, the kingdom is here. The kingdom of God is here and here's what it looks like and, and when you follow me, here's what you get. Here's the culture of it. But there's an outcome to this kingdom as well. Here is the outcome, uh, outcome of the kingdom of God in, in brief, in summary. It is a kingdom where Jesus brings healing and wholeness spiritually, emotionally, and physically. That's what the kingdom of God brings. Healing and wholeness spiritually. We'll get to chapter two where it talks about the paralyzed man coming before Jesus, and the first thing Jesus says to him is not, you're healed. He says, your sins are forgiven. Everyone's looking around going, it's not what he needs, still can't walk, and Jesus is going, that's exactly what he needs. He needs healing spiritually. That's what you and I need. We need healing spiritually. We need to be right with God. We need our sins forgiven what Jesus brings. He brings healing and wholeness emotionally. He's casting out demon-oppressed and demon-possessed people. And it's not just demon-oppressed and possessed people who are emotionally broken. You get the woman at the well who's emotionally broken and torn apart. You get Zacchaeus who's emotionally broken and, and torn apart. And what does Jesus do? Jesus comes and he brings healing and wholeness to them emotionally. Some of you are an emotional wreck Jesus brings a kingdom of healing and wholeness emotionally, and he brings a kingdom of healing and wholeness physically too. He's constantly healing people, is he not? He's constantly making them well. 
And some of you are going, oh, does this mean that if I get cancer, if I just pray to Jesus, I get his kingdom and I'll be healed instantly? Maybe. Or maybe, and more specifically, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> maybe and more specifically, <coughs> those are a word picture <coughs> of the eternal physical healing that Jesus is bringing. The kingdom of God, Jesus brings healing and wholeness, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. <coughs> Losing my voice, which means it's time to close it down, friends. <coughs> so how do we have this? How do we walk in this? This incredible friendship with Jesus. Jesus says in verse 15, repent and believe in the gospel. And the gospel is Jesus. You want to have this friendship with Jesus. You gotta believe. Believe what? Believe Jesus is God. Believe what he's come to do. Believe in him. But it also says repent. Wonder what you think of when you think of the word repent. I wonder if you think of fear. Wonder if you think of, of guilt. I wonder. I wonder what you think. What does Jesus mean when he says repent? Is he, is he calling us to guilt? Is he calling us to fear? Is he calling us to humiliation? When Jesus was on the cross, what did he say to the Father as people are mocking him and spitting on him? Father, forgive them. Repentance is an invitation not to guilt, but to grace. Repentance is an invitation not to fear, but to forgiveness. Repentance is an invitation not to humiliation, but transformation. The word repent, it literally means to turn. You're going in one direction. To repent is to turn. The idea of repentance also has to do with the language of, of allegiance and obedience. That's why when it says that Andrew and Peter and James and John, they followed Jesus, you'll notice Mark is very emphatic. It says, oh, by the way, before they followed Jesus, they left their nets. They left their father and they followed Jesus. They were obedient to Jesus. Jesus is more than just one of your buddies. He's God and deserves all your obedience. And can I be honest with you? I wonder 
if the thing that keeps many of you from experiencing all the riches of following Jesus and, and enjoying this friendship and fellowship with Jesus is this word repent. Is because you know that it means I have to give up some good things for the best thing. It means that you have to, you have to stare in the face some of those sins that you still like doing and you turn from them and follow Jesus instead. But I pray that you would know that when you repent and turn to Jesus, you find grace, you find forgiveness, you find transformation, you find a father that says, I love you, I'm well pleased in you. You, you find the Holy Spirit saying, hey, let's go this way. Hey, let's go that way. Hey, this is what I have for you today. What do you need to repent of so that you can walk in this fruitful friendship with Jesus? Seriously, what do you need to repent of? Some of you, you need to repent of a sin in your life. I hope that you can look at that sin and see the grace of Jesus and not the guilt of your failure. Some of you, it's not a sin. It's just something else. It's the nets that Andrew and Peter had to repent of and turn away from. I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe it's repenting of... You're not generous like you should. Maybe it's repenting of you're putting too much time and effort into something that's costing your um, and affecting your relationship with your family or your walk with Christ. But, but, but um, may we be like David in this moment and say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Know that stuff that I don't even really know and then lead me in the way everlasting. And let's walk with Jesus and become friends with Jesus and experience all of the riches of this friendship together. Amen.